podcast the 10th episode covering season six i am your host dan how y'all doing we are in the sixth season the um the last of the big big seasons happy days waiting ratings wise waitings rise ratings wise along with laverne and shirley and we are in in this episode we are in we are finishing up January 79 entering February of 79 and in fact the second episode we're going to talk about it I believe the day after the second episode we're talking about airs there's a big TV event which I'm not sure if I should talk about in this episode or the next one I'll see how I'm feeling at the end but I believe it's February 7th if I'm remembering correctly there's a big TV event but let me just the today we're talking about stolen memories January 30th, 1979, written by Brian Levant, directed by Jerry Paris, and Married Strangers from February 6th, 1979, uh, written by Bob Howard, directed by Jerry Paris. Yep, 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 yep. February 7th, something big happens. Again, I may be cliffhangering you on, I know what you're saying, I know what it is now, Dan. No, 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 it's not that. That is a little later. But uh, anyway, regardless, I'm talking. I'm talking in in pop culture confusion right here, right now, and I apologize. But th- so we're covering those two episodes that I just talked about. And the first one is Stolen Melodies, which will be the return of Leather's back. Hooray, Leather's back! I like that Leather keeps returning. I don't know what it is she's doing during her spare time. I imagine she's out with her gals playing. But she's got a new tune called Midnight Love. With moonlight Love. I'm sorry. Is it Midnight Love? It's Love. Moonlight Love. Midnight Love. Is a moonlight Love. Mm. Mm-mm, kind of doo-woppy and she uh and the episode starts off with them in the bathroom at Al's and everyone's there and they got a piano and they got Chachi on the drums and uh, uh, uh Susie uh, Leather is on bass and and Potsy's on guitar playing more or less and and Richie's on the saxophone and they're they're doing a uh, cassette demo recording of um of Moonlight Love although I didn't check to see did yeah yeah I suppose they yeah, cassettes were. This was early. This was. I mean, this is now we're in 1961, right? Where the Christmas episode was Christmas 1960, and I think we're we're past that point. So I'm going to put us in early 1961, right here, which makes sense for something else that's going to come up more or less. And so yeah, they they record the the song in there, and then they go on to they try they're trying to get on a local uh, sort of cheese ball hoot nanny. Um, uh, is it sock hop? I forget exactly what it's called. It's um sort of a hoot nanny kind of American bandstand uh sort of show. It's called oh it's called sock hop. They seem to have a super cheese ball um uh sort of uh house band called Freddie and the Red Hots who are looking for the brand new sound. And uh, this whole thing is hosted by a gentleman named Oliver. I believe it's Skip Oliver, and he's one of those sort of uh, guys who used to host the the um. The rock and roll shows back then, who were all sort of middle aged, as as um as the uh, the Red Hots point out, uh, you know that guy went to high school with my mom, you know, so they're uh, uh, they, he's sort of one of the I'm the I'm the dean of teen, I'm the 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 
the pop of rock. No, I forget. But he's he's one of those guys who like he's he's got a lot of names and he thinks he's really cool. But he basically looks like uh, your biology teacher, and uh, and for some reason he was considered cool back then, or at least someone thought he was cool enough to, or people like that age were cool enough to uh, be put in show. I guess I guess if you had someone the age of say leather who looked like leather hosting the show parents would see it and run away so you needed someone who was the age of the parents to host it there you go but uh yeah leather and the gang go on and they play and then they get their song ripped off by the red hots and then they end up winning the day in the end but somehow it all ends up becoming a celebration of fonzie in song we'll talk about that in a moment i'm going to um play you a little something and then i will be on the other side here we go just say here because i think i i'll forget this but there is something um uh something slightly odd about the fact that the fonz gets them the audition on sock hop with mr oliver and the way the fonz does it is by going out with mr oliver's maid and getting her to blackmail mr oliver to let them on the show i don't know if that's hilarious or sleazy but either way that's what happens here um so yeah, we get this. We get this thing. Yeah, we get the, we get like the early '60s dance type show, rock and roll type show. Because we're we're sort of in that weird space here where you know, um, you know, Elvis was gone for a few years at the end of the '50s in the army, but now he's back. And if this is '61 and '60. He had Elvis is back is out, and then I think he has another big album out in '61. But the thing is, Elvis is now movies. Elvis is now from now for the next six seven years. Elvis is now more enmeshed in movies than he is in music. So occasionally early on here i mean elvis is back is a pretty great album and then he's got some good singles and then he releases a couple more just straight up rock albums um it's a potluck i think is out in 61 or 62 and and they're good they're, they're not classic they're not great they're they're doing that thing that happened in the 60s with elvis where the songs the the publishers that the colonel is allowing him to access are mediocre second rate publishers and and with second rate songs and so as the 60s go along you get elvis encountering more and more songs not because he didn't pick the songs he was the colonel would the well the colonel would pick the publishers and he had his hand in the tills of all the publishers and the publishers were not the big publishers and so you had you had a lot of the best top song you would get that at the end of the 60s and early 70s where Elvis was just doing better songs that was because everyone wanted to write a song for Elvis and have Elvis do them but unless the colonel could get a piece he wasn't letting anyone get the song so that's why during the 60s there's so many rotten songs that elvis sings he was basically would give be given like 20 songs they all stank and he would have to pick the best and he would do his best now elvis is back i don't think it was like that i don't really think potluck was like that i forget after that i think we had mainly singles and stuff and and soundtracks until the comeback special and then from elvis in memphis at the end of the 60s but we're in, we're in that space right here in 61 where Elvis has gone into movies and there's no real 
people are showing up people are having hits there we're going to talk about one of those in a moment but no one is sticking like elvis until the beach boys at the end of 62 leading into the beatles in 63 followed by the stones and then we go from there and uh so so we're kind of in that weird space and we've been kind of in that weird space since like 58 where um like Elvis is really the only one that can save us, but now El- Elvis came back briefly and is now kind of gone again. He's here, but he's he's kind of gone, and yeah, um, and so sock hop is like that. You get this cheesy band like the the Red Hots here, who are the guy in the gold lame outfit, which is clearly based on Elvis being in a gold lame outfit. Although I don't think he'd been in one yet in early 1961, and uh, just these these rotten songs that uh, just are. Just, just rotten. A lot of bad songs, and you know, and and um, Moonlight Love is, uh, I think Moonlight Love sells it on um, uh, Leather's performance of it. I don't know that um, it's got the it's got that second half of the seventies. We love the fifties thing to it, and some of that stuff was great. Some of that I I wasn't so thrilled with. And this is kind of the middle ground. I don't love it. I I don't hate it. It's okay. Um, now, whether or not I love the final song they do, the song about the Fonz. We'll get to that in a moment. But, um, uh, so it's nice to have Leather back. Uh, and it's funny to see, like, them on stage and to see Ralph on piano. Like I said, Ralph on piano, Potsy guitar, Leather on bass, uh, Richie on sax, and um, uh, Chachi on drums. And to think that of those of those people on that stage, within the next few years, sort of the most popular of them music-wise would probably be Scott Bayo when he put out his couple of albums in the early 80s. He wasn't a singer. And the albums weren't very good. But I think the first one did decently. And I, I don't remember, you know, Susie Quattro was certainly there, but I don't remember her having any huge hits. I'm, I'm sure, but, but it's a funny thing that, like, of those, just the way, the nature of everything, Scott Bayo is kind of the biggest music star, <laughs> just just pure popularity-wise. Of those, now I could be wrong. Of course, Susie Quadro could be could be bigger there, but I just I just I'm amused by that fact. And 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 Chachi doesn't do much but hang out with a gal and play some drums. I don't know where the gal who used to play drums for them went, and I don't know. I I like this assumption that like a new character shows up and they can just play. You know, saxophone starts coming in and rock and roll. Richie can play the sax. Boom, it's easy. You know, um, Chachi's here. Chachi's back from Blansky's Beauties and. Who stole the family? The other, the other who's watching the kids, um, and now he can play drums, and uh, so, yeah, it's it, and we get the the twist. We get um, Joni dancing to the twist, and then Mrs. C joins in, and that that more or less tracks. Um, the the twist was actually original. I forget who did it, but it was a B side to a single from 1959, and then Chubby Checker did his cover, which came out in the late 19, 19 came out in late 1960. And he went and did that, and that was a big hit. And that was actually a bigger hit, like, two years later. But this is presumably the first round, because this is in 1962. So so it tracks that they're dancing to the twist. Oh, what, what do I think of the episode, the, the actual episode? Thank you for asking. I think What's Happening did an episode around this time where Raj gets, like, a screenplay idea stolen. So that could have been a thing at the time. I haven't really checked to see if... Um, wasn't that a thing that Barney Miller didn't one of the one of the one character had the had like a novel or something published and then he got sued later on for plagiarizing? I could be making that up. Uh, so so the, the 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 story is fine. I mean I mean the thing that um the thing that they would come and they would record this song, make a demo of it, play it, and then this guy could immediately steal it and put it out on a forty five. I don't know. I mean. 
I mean, they did a demo of it, right? So if you're doing a demo of it, you must in some way, shape, or form be copyrighted. I mean, Le- Leather isn't, this isn't like Leather's first song. She's been performing, uh, she's been on the show for like uh, two seasons now. So, so, so she knows what's going on. You don't just take a new song out there and just play it in front of a crowd and not expect someone to rip it off. So, so it strikes me as weird that he's able to do that. Um, and then, and, then they don't go after him legally. Their plan is to go back on the show and play the song. But the weird-ass thing about the way the episode works, if you'll pardon my use of the word, the A-word there, is this weird thing where we hear them do Midnight Love for the demo, we hear them do Midnight Love for Skip, but then when they actually the band is assembled to play it for the TV audience, they actually decide to play songs for the Fonz instead. It's weird because the Fonz doesn't do much in the episode until he dances in the end. And they play a song singing about how great Fonz... Now, this is at this point, you know, we'd had like the album Fonzie for President had come out, which was just a full album for the Fonzettes about how great the Fonz was. So so the Fonz, you know, this is, this is weird because this is like the show doing something that pop culture has already done and the Fonz will still be popular up until the show ends but I think like the height of Fonzie mania was sort of like 76, 77, 78 I actually kind of sort of think that although the show was still on top of the world more or less ratings wise I feel like by January of 79 we were looking to other things. Mork was around. Arnold was over on different strokes. Obviously, we'd had Star Wars. The Fonz was now part of a part of a bigger pot, not the main thing anymore. I mean, look at the Crack magazines at this time. Who's on the cover of Crack magazine? Seven, eight, seven, nine. It's Arnold Drummond. It's 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 Mork. You know, it's Mork. And and it's Arnold Drummond and it's Mork. And it's whatever the new exciting stuff is. You know, the Fonz, the Fonz is no longer in Crack Magazine. And to me, if the Fonz isn't in Crack Magazine, then that means he isn't at the, the height of it. And the weird thing that they didn't do an episode like this a year before or two years before. They're doing an episode like this now where it becomes so important to sing about how great the Fonz is, although he really doesn't do much in the episode that it's more important to sing about a great defense than it is for them to actually perform the song that Leather got ripped off for. So when they do the song, they do a song about how great the Fonz is rather than doing Moonlight Love, which is weird because that's the whole point of it. So it's sort of, it's it's weird because the show starts off recording Moonlight Love, get on the show, play it on the show. We played it. Oh, that was good. But then it gets ripped off. So now we have to go on the show and take over and play it and do it and go out there and yeah, make our make our point, you know, that this is our song and make our mark. But instead they decide to go self-referential and sing about how great their most popular character is. It's such a weird... I'm wondering if it was almost like a, a last-minute thing where it was like they were going to do Moonlight Love again and then someone said, you know, we've already done that twice. Why not sing about the Fonz? Or let, let's do a song about the Fonz. Maybe the song about the Fonz can be a hit. But like I said, I think we've already sort of gone past that point a bit. Um, now, now, that's not to say I don't dislike the episode. I think the episode is a lot of fun. I think the opening scene where they're recording in the bathroom is fun when Al goes crazy with the tambourine. Um, not quite out of character, but a little out of nowhere. Um, the Red Hots and Freddy and the Red Hots, um, uh, you know, are wonderfully cheeseball 
and uh, the scene where they grab all the Red Hots and pull them off the stage and are replaced by our, you know, the band that we love, the the people that we love. Um, that's great, and it's great. And when the Fonz goes up the dance line towards Skip, uh, so is great, and it's it's nice to see a mixed crowd at the show. Although I think they, all I can think of was Hairspray when I was watching that. Um, and it is nice to say, I mean, to me, Skip is very realistic, and Richie and the Red Hots is very... As they say, Richie, he found... R- Richie was discovered at a Catskills hotel in 1954, so he was a cheeseball, like, lounge singer, and just appropriated rock and roll, you know. In the in the, in the the same way that, you know, like, throughout the history of... I, I was going throughout... The, the, the best example for me is all the hair metal bands of the late 80s who suddenly all became grunge in the early 90s. You know, this is sort of that. You had a cheeseball lounge singer, and then suddenly what they do with music changes, and um, he suddenly becomes rock and roll, and it's clear he has no idea what he's doing. And he's just got lucky because he happens to be on this show. And so I like that, and there are a lot of fun bits to it. It's... um. And if I, I think the thing that's really weird to it, it to me is the way they make it about the Fonz in the end, because this should be to me the episode should be about Leather and her song, and maybe like you have this secondary great secondary supporting character who is actually talented and plays the bass and sings and writes the songs, give her her time, and this almost does that, but it implies that she is getting her time in the sun, but she's not because the Fonz is, and it's. It's again to, to hit another fad. It's it's that thing where you, that thing that you saw. If you watch sitcoms or you look at stuff, footage, and things from the first half of nineteen seventy three, what are all women wearing? Everyone's wearing miniskirts. Three years before that, four years before that, miniskirts were something that young women wore. You know, like women with really long legs wore. Um, you know, your mom wasn't wearing a miniskirt. Grandma, your aunt, wasn't wearing a miniskirt. But in the second half of the seventies, everyone was wearing a miniskirt, and that was the point where you knew that fad, that fashion was done. The moment when everyone is doing it means it's done. And and the fact that the show itself, which has the Fonz in it, has to highlight. Come on, do the Fonzie with me. Do the Fonzie, the the fact that, and and it isn't even as fun as like the songs that are on the Fonzette album, the Fonz for President. Only a jerk would drive girls berserk. Oh, shaking the Fonzie tonight. I don't even just wind gallon tight and tease her back out. I don't even know what to shimmy up your leg. Everybody screeching. I don't even know what these. They're like it's like they're making they're making. I mean, it's clear when they're singing it up on stage, lip syncing along. They're having a great time, and Skip loves it, and everyone's doing the Fonzie, and it's great. Um, and there's always there is that weird thing though with the Fonzie the Fonz. Um, I mean, we had we had the thing back with the Fonzie and Pinky is that the Fonzie is sort of the king of the Milwaukee area, and so the Fonz doesn't want to break out. But technically, the Fonz, without knowing it, has broken out. And um, here, you, you you never hear after this that suddenly everyone's doing do the Fonzie or everything again. It's like this happened. This seemed to be huge for a moment, and then it's gone. Um, and Skip does. Um, Skip does say that Leather is a new big talent, but then immediately the Fonz comes up and says one more time, and they do the Fonzie again until it goes to to fades to black for the commercial. So it's almost like funny because we they want Leather to be the focus, but in the end she's not. The Fonz is, but the Fonz has been the focus of the show now for over three years, 
And he was absolutely huge, and he made the show number one and right up there, and everybody loves the Fonz, but we're sort of at the point now where other things are surpassing the Fonz, and I don't just mean like Star Wars, I mean on TV, like I said, Mork and Arnold um, are, you know, especially this season with Mork, you know, Mork is, I think, more the kids like Mork more than they like the Fonz right now, Um but uh, but that that's because the Mork, Mork is kind of goofy and weird like them, you know, like like your average kid. It's it, I mean it's interesting because to me that's the episode starts off like it's very based in sort of leather and her thing, but then in the end, you sort of I mean it's one of those it's it, this is the seventies I've said this so many times in seventies TV that I've started so many episodes of TV shows, especially on over on Avengers Super Train, so many seventies episodes of TV shows that I started off not really liking at all. And then, like, recently, Amanda Reyes and I talked about a Lucan episode, The Search, which, when it started off, I was kind of iffy on, and there were moments I liked, but other moments where I was like, I'm not sure. But then when it ended, I thought, oh, I really liked that. But then when I watched it a second time, I was like, oh, that's right, I didn't like it as much when it started. I liked it more as it went along. And so many... The best... My favorite 70s shows... I mean, like, like the thing with, like, Columbo. Columbo always begins with an elaborate murder. That's the way you start off. And then when it's done, you bring on Columbo. That's the way you do it. You know, a show like Search, which I love, usually starts off pretty strong. And a lot of the shows do. But but so many of the sort of the more dramatic shows and things begin, like, in a place where it's... Like, eight is Enough is like that. So many Eight is Enough episodes begin with me just, like, wanting to eat a bag of razors. They just seem so depressing to me. Even when the laugh track's going and going. But then somewhere in there, the good ones will... I'll get caught up in it. When it ends, I'll be like, hey, that was pretty good. But somehow you have to make it through first. It's, it's not like you can hop... It's not like you can hop to the end and just watch the ending. You have to watch the whole thing. And Stolen Melodies is kind of um, is kind of weird. Like it starts off being one thing that I I quite liked and thought, ooh, I like where this is going, giving Leather a big hit. And in the end, it sort of implies that it does with her. You know, now her name is on the record, written, written, written music and lyrics by, and she gets a royalty check. That's cool. But really, the last, the big climax is singing about how great the Fonz is with Leather and the band in the background. And so, even though there's that little royalty bit, like, that bit would have got cut out for syndication to save time. So if you saw this in syndication, I would have been six when this aired. I may have watched this when it originally aired at night. Yeah, I, I definitely may have watched this. But if you saw this in syndication, I would bet you cash money that that final tag scene, that closing scene, wasn't there. So you ended with singing do the Fonzie and Henry Winkler looking right at the camera with a big smile on his face giving you an A and you would have ended with the Fonz is the best not finally Leather has her big break which is what the episode should be but in the end is not which is weird I don't dislike it because the show is about the Fonz more than it's about Leather I just find it a little weird um, and I will say I, I did look it up there it's it's always funny to me when the show forgets that it's meant to be set in the past. So this is an episode 1979 that's meant to be set 19 years before. So I had a look. Um, so Pinky, a little bit later. Now they play basketball together. So Pinky's like in a fun sweater and her leather pants. I like that outfit. Um, it's cute. It's a cute outfit. Um, she's kind of wearing like um like a like an Edward kind of Angora sweater sort of thing with leather pants. I ain't gonna argue. I ain't gonna argue. Um, but I looked it up, and so this is 1960. She got her first royalty check, and um, I got my first royalty check, and, and Richie says something like, oh, let's head down. Where's Lori Beth? Let's head down to, I guess he's treating Leather more like a sister, huh? Um, let's head to, where's Joni? 
Joni wasn't in this episode. No, she was. She danced to the twist. I don't think Joni would have been more more because she's of the age that they're targeting here. Um, but Richie says, "Oh, you got your royalty check. Um, uh, let Let's go down to Arnold's. How much is it?" She says, "How much it is?" And he says, "Oh, I'll treat." Now you got to remember Arnold's. You know, it's like what I, I forget how much it is, but I mean, I imagine you can get two hamburgers, fries, and a drink at Arnold's for what, like two two dollars for for I don't know. A dollar fifty, two dollars, something like that. I mean, it's not expensive. the The thing is, it's it, well, it's funny. I had a look. Well, probably not even that much, huh? Jeez, but 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 it's weird because she says, well, she says the amount of her royalty check is six dollars and ninety eight cents, and people in the crowd are like, ha, ha, ha. adjusted for inflation from nineteen sixty to twenty twenty three, that's seventy dollars and fifty five cents. Now that ain't breaking the bank, but Seventy dollars is not nothing. Seventy dollars is definitely you can go down to the local burger joint, get a couple hamburgers, fries, and have some money left, a lot of money left over. So that was a little weird that they did that. But overall I like stolen melodies. It's um it's it's not a great episode. I kinda wish it had followed Leather on Down rather because when it does the do the Fonzie thing, I think if you watch this episode randomly I think you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But watching it now, it's like, uh, I think you've gone past the sell-by date on the Do the Fonzie thing. You should have done that in the fourth or fifth seasons. Doing that in, near the end of the sixth um, is is feels a little odd. Uh, you know, it's it's they can't, you know no one's surprised that the Fonz is so popular, obviously. But to do it right here, I'd love to I'd love to know the theory behind why they chose to do this now rather than earlier on when it would have made a bit more sense. Um, I mean, maybe it is because you got Mork now and you got Arnold and there are other things out there and they're kind of reminding everyone how great the Fonz is. And he's still great. But anyway, let me go on to the next episode here. It's written by Bob Howard, directed by Jerry Paris. It aired, I believe, February 6th, uh, 1979. That's funny. This one and the next one, I mean, this, this is a season where they had a Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas episode. And technically, maybe not this one, but maybe the next one, Valentine's episode two huh so uh so this one is married strangers and it is um the 23rd anniversary so it's 1961 um and so the, so that means that um of of 23rd anniversary of mr and mrs c so they got married circa 1938 i guess 19 no yeah 1938 um, and if they did get married in 1938, it makes something that happens in this episode extremely confusing. But And so what ends up happening is, um, even though Mr. and Mrs. C are arguing, um, they are sent to the, the hotel where they had their honeymoon for a second honeymoon. And they're going to spend the weekend there, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be wild, and it's going to be crazy. Unfortunately, the two of them have both taken like Cosmo-style quizzes and both rated each other average, so they're mad at one another. So when they go there, they're unhappy first, but then they try to recreate their original honeymoon as best they can, but it sort of doesn't always work. And um, Mrs. C uh, seems really upset with how everything's going, and Mr. C tries to do his best. And um, there's uh there's there's arguing and there's little spats and and uh well let's let me let me i'll talk about it let me play this and we'll talk about it
in a stream Falling leaves a sycamore Moonlight in Vermont It's a fun episode, but it's also it's a very forced episode. You know, couples have spats when they're married. That, that's what happens, and in this one, they apparently both forgot that today was their 23rd wedding anniversary. Not that 23rd is like 20th or 25th or anything like that, but not that you shouldn't celebrate. And uh, it, it is weird that they both forgot, because normally in the history of sitcoms, especially one from circa that's set circa 1961, your your concept is that the husband forgets the, the wedding anniversary. I mean, even, you know, that's a classic thing. I mean, even... I mean, like, Green Acres has the wedding anniversary in episode one. Now, in that, Oliver doesn't forget the wedding anniversary, but he's forgotten exactly how long they have been married, uh, which is a nice little twist. And oddly enough, the wedding anniversary, probably one of my least favorite episodes from season one of Green Acres. I know the series was still finding its footing, and why am I talking about Green Acres? I was talking about Green Acres because I made a mistake when I originally set up this episode. I thought I had talked about stolen melodies in the previous episode. If I have, please someone tell me. Because when I sat down to watch, when I looked at the DVDs, because we're at the end of disc three of the four discs for season six, and we're at the end, pretty much near the end of the officially released, I'm gonna, I got to start to go to bootlegs for season seven, which is not great, uh, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, but it was weird. So when I looked at disc three, I was like, okay, smoking ain't cool, Ralph versus Potsy, stolen melodies, married strangers, Marion, da, da, da. I was like, oh, Stolen Melodies. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I did that one. So I, I was going to do Married Strangers and the next one. I thought it might be fun, and I don't know why I thought this. I, I gave up the idea on this rather quickly. I thought it might be fun as there is a Green Acres episode, I want to say season five, but it could be season four, when the show was still going great, great good times, um, uh, where they take uh, they take a separate vacations where um, Lisa thinks the marriage is getting a bit stale, and so she goes to New York City for a few weeks, and Oliver stays home on the farm. It's a very funny episode. It's a very sweet episode. It's the one where Mr. Haney, even though at this point Oliver and Lisa have met the Clampets, um, the Clampets are still... <laughs> Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies is still a TV show within Green Acres. So Mr. Haney, in order to keep uh, Mr. Douglas feeling safe, gives him a, a photo, framed cast photo of the Beverly Hillbillies that lights up at night. And there's just a great scene where Lisa keeps calling him during a rainstorm and he keeps going up the pole, talking to her, and it's pouring rain and it's dark. And then finally she's gone to bed. He gets into bed, turns out the light, puts his head on the pillow, Pause, and then all of a sudden the room kind of lights up, and he looks around and looks over, and there's the picture of the Beverly Hillbillies all lit up. But uh, I was actually going to do an episode where I compared and contrasted uh, a episode of a sitcom from the late '70s, set in the early '60s, and how it handled a couple who had been married a while and felt like maybe it was going a little stale. Um, to a show made in the late '60s, set in the late '60s, was sort of the same thing. And then I suddenly realized that. I um I hadn't done Stolen Melody, so I had to do that, and I the Green Acres episode got set aside. But I have a book called um, From Beverly Hills to Hooterville, Exploring TV's Henningverse, 1962 to 1971. You can go on Amazon and pick it up through Throckmorton Press. You'll love it. But, um, yeah, I forget why I was talking about Green Acres, because I'll always talk about Green Acres. Um, 
so yeah, this this is this is this is an okay episode that has the thing that this season has had a bunch of, which is that um, it feels a bit forced at times. I understand where they're coming. They they have to make Mister Mrs. C angry at one another, so it's awkward when they go on the thing. I understand that, but there's something about having them take these quizzes and both call each other average, which you know is going to piss each other off. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me that they do that with, with like, I mean, it's not said like, you know, he went in the bathroom and filled out the quiz and I snuck in and grabbed the magazine and had a look. No, it was, I took this test, He took. we both put each other, we thought each other was average. At the end, there's kind of a loveliness where it's like, okay, so maybe we're, when they're at the hotel and the hotel turns out to be junkier than they are remembered, kind of dirty walls. Did you notice that? Um, and they say something like, you know, we may be an average couple, but we don't deserve to spend our second honeymoon in this D-grade hotel or something like that. So they go back home. I like that. And, you know, they're meant to be. I mean, that's the thing that Fonz always tell them. You know, they're an average middle-class American family, and that's why he loves them. And so and so you want your your the love of your life to say you're Wowsville or you're super. Um but sometimes you just want someone that you can sit and watch TV with, you can get comfy cozy with and, and have a nice meal with, something like that. You know, that's we gotta you when you're married you go for the long haul, you know, and if you go you know, and unless I guess unless you're a billionaire and you can fly a private jet to anywhere every single day, then you gotta you gotta space junk out, you know, you gotta space life out. Um and so so I like the episode, but it is rather forced. Vito Scotty is in it, who you'll recognize. He plays kind of like the bellhop manager, uh, waiter, everything of the, of the place. And it's one it's one of those hotels that's sort of like apart from the guy playing the piano, and I think maybe you'll see one waiter pass by. It's completely understaffed. There's only one, like one guy on the staff. As Vito Vito Scotty, who's who's fun. It's weird because when the show originally began, the humor could occasionally get broad, but was never too broad. And it's been really getting broad this season, and I don't really think that always helps the show. Just a lot of a lot of people saying things that are grammatically odd or weird for them to say just to set up a joke. And a lot of like, suddenly Mr. and Mrs. C hate each other. At the same time that they're going away for a week on their second honeymoon, what? And it's it's all a little forced and it's all a little much, and it is nice to see an episode focusing on Mister and Missus C, and it is nice to get together in the end. And I like that they use the houses and Arnold's annex when there's something wrong with like I think the heat and Arnold's, um, and and they're all dancing there. Mister and Missus C join in, and I think that's fun. And you know, it's fun just for them to sort of assert that, you know, we do love one another. We raised two, possibly three great kids, and we're good people, and they can go from there. I uh, I think they overreact to the quiz, but they overreact in a sitcom manner, because if they didn't overreact like that, I mean, the, the, the way I would have done it was maybe had them fill it out and have both of them not care about it. And then someone like Joni kind of say, oh, average, jeez. You know, I just kept kind of like, Joni, what do you mean, average, jeez? What, oh, nothing, Mom. Well, jeez, now I'm worried. Why did you put average? You know, start from there. Um, they could have done that. That would have been an easy rewrite. That would have been a very easy rewrite. Just start off with, um, start with maybe J- the finishing up the sign, and then they come down and everyone's happy, and maybe Joni is 
looking at a magazine and she sees that and she brings that up and suddenly it goes from happy to why did you put that you know in a moment they didn't care about it now that someone else is seeing it and going oh this isn't good now they suddenly care about it i would have done that that would have been better writing but what are you going to do i'm not the one making tens of thousands you know writing the scripts here i'm just some jackass doing a podcast for free um so what uh what else about this episode yeah the hotel stuff is fine um you know, uh, there's that jerk guy at the table who won't move because he's meeting someone who's not his wife. And then, you know, Mr. C almost has a brief fling with the lovely blonde lady who shows up and, and uh, young blonde. And I don't fully understand her character, but she shows up in the end and goes out with Al. So I guess Al's going to have a hell of a night. Um, take her to take her to Arnold's. The, the heater ain't working. She'll she'll let you keep her warm. I don't quite, don't quite understand that character. So it's just this young woman in 1961 who's just going around meeting up. To, oh, but she, when she finds out that Al isn't um, married, there's going to be a problem there. Oh, that's too bad. What else is there in this episode? There's some fun sled. They push the two single beds together. I, I like the fact that the two single beds are very much the sign of what... Do we ever see Mr. and Mrs. C in bed? We do, but it was a long time ago. We do, we do. There's an episode. Is it Joni, the smoking episode? Maybe it was just recently. Uh, but we do see and they're in a bed together. But of course, if this was actually made in 61, they wouldn't have been in a bed together. They would have been in the separate beds. And I like the fact that they go in the room, which they say, apart from if things really hasn't changed in the 23 years since they were there last, and it's got the two single beds that they push together to make into the... Um, into a quote in quotes double bed and i like that because in 1961 on tv they would have been in separate beds in 79 on tv they would have been in single beds in, in in a double bed but in a show in 79 set in 61 they probably should have been in single beds but it doesn't matter because they're together and they're pushing the beds together i like that but mr c keeps winding up the crack between the beds and falling in between them that's a uh, Tom Bosley's big stunting stuff. That was a big one. I was in vaudeville. We used to push two beds together and I would fall in between them. So they finally, we worked that into an episode. So I kind of like that because that's kind of, that's kind of very much, we're in the 60s where it would have been like this, but we're saying it's like this, making it more modern. Although they wouldn't have thought that in 1961, but I I, I like that touch. Um, But I mean, there's something about like Mrs. C like she's not going to enjoy it unless everything is exactly like it was so they have to move a table and then they have to do this and then they have to play Moonlight in Vermont and then they have to sit at this table and then they have to do that it's just that's all seems sitcom force to me Um, and if it were hilariously funny it wouldn't matter but it's not it's there are some laughs and there are some charming moments, but in general, the episode is just amusing. So having Mrs. C go that crazy and then blame Mr. C for it not being the same way it was 23 years before when he didn't even plan them being there is ridiculous to me. Uh, she she kind of... They both took the quiz and denigrated one another, but she's kind of acting like the really hurt one here while Mr. C is trying to keep it in check when they both hurt each other. So let's go from there. So so it's almost like two two different two different like two different ideas colliding there like they both hurt each other in the beginning and they should both sort of forgive one another and carry on uh but in 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 the actual thing in the lodge much of it is like mrs c's having troubles so mr c can't keep up with it kind of thing and uh 
you know, and so he ends up spending the night sitting by the bar drinking and meeting the cute gal, and Mrs. C ends up dancing with Otto, Vito Scotti, in the, um, in the, in the room, but at the end, they're together, and they go back home, and they don't actually spend the night, I don't know, I, I don't know what time they go back, I don't know what time it's meant to be, or whatever, but, it's, I mean, it's an okay, it's, it's fun to have Mr. and Mrs. C take an episode, I wish the comedy wasn't so forced, but there's enough charm in it, and it moves quick enough, and it's amusing enough, that, but, but it gets, it gets like moments where Mrs. C is like, oh, we need to sit there, you need to ask that man to move, and you're like, oh, stop, and like I said, if it were hilarious, the moment she says that, you'd be like, what's this guy gonna do, but then when he does it, you're like, oh, I mean, the only thing about it that's sort of like, huh, is when the young woman shows up, you're like, okay, what's, happening here because at first he thinks she's kind of flirting with him then she learns that he then he learns that she was there for the other guy so he's like okay that but then she does start flirting with him and and so that seems kind of an ambiguous sort of one i don't know it, it also the episode isn't about their marriage ending it's about them sort of just adapting and so to have a scene like that does feel a little weird. Like having the guy there who's like, I'm married, but I makes you think, well, Mr. C would never do that. And then they put him in context where maybe he would do that. So like, I don't know. I just feel like the episode could have done with another draft or maybe they could have thrown the script in the, in the, in the garbage and just completely rewritten it or something, save the episode for later. I get that it's around Valentine's, you know, and they're doing that, but... Um, Still, I just, it's a fun episode. It's great to see Mr. and Mrs. C. There's fun to see Vito Scotti. There's some good jokes. There are some funny moments. But overall, it just seems a bit labored to me. In fact, much of this season has seemed kind of like, it seems kind of like a show that is alternately, like in the previous episode with the Fonz song, very, very full of itself. But also a show that's trying to break away from the the Norman Lear torn out of the headlines, very special episode thing, which is now becoming something, you know, with different strokes on the air. Facts of Life, I think, is premiering around now, too. You know, the very special episode has become so. They're just trying to do like your standard sitcom sort of stories. And we've been going a while now. And so it's getting, it, I don't know that it's getting strained, but this just, I just don't think this is a very funny script. Um, but it has its charms and it's definitely worth watching. So let's. Before I wrap up, let me just tell you two things. One, the next episode we are going to be covering, let's see, Marion, Fairy Godmother, which aired February 13th, so we'll call that the Valentine's Day episode. And then Fonzie's Funeral, Part 1. Oh, boy! And then after that, because of the weird way the season goes, because the season runs pretty much currently until mid-March, and then there's a two-month break, and the last two episodes air. So what we're going to do is, the next one will be the Marion Fairy Godmother Fonzie Funeral Part 1. And then we are going to do, because there's another clip show, our what, fourth clip show. We are going to do, the after that is Fonzie's Funeral Part 2, Mork Returns, which is the fifth anniversary show, which is another clip show, and The Duel. And then we'll close out this season with what, what will it be, episode... 1113 with Chachi's Incredible Wax and Potsy Quits School. That will end us season six, and um, we'll go from there. Uh, so uh, and, and that's the end of this episode. And the big thing to remember is that um, the night after this episode airs, the Wednesday night, the biggest new show of the season premieres. And when I say biggest, I mean most expensive. And that will be a little show called 
Super Train. See the podcast feed for the podcast called Eventually Super Train. Thank you very much. Listen to this. forgive me this isn't great sound on this i just want to throw this out at the end i forgot something important yeah uh, uh, mr and mrs c when they go on their wedding anniversary it's their 23rd wedding anniversary and it was three episodes ago four episodes ago it was christmas 1960 so i'm putting this around the time it aired um year wise say uh so so around in the vicinity of valentine's day now that that makes sense how huh? they would have got married around valentine's day so this takes place around valentine's day uh and they're the song they're after hearing is uh, moonlight in vermont which is sort of a standard uh, Sinatra did not come fly with me. Louis Armstrong done it. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald's done. I think Ella and Louis did it together. Lots of people have have covered it, and um, that song and and it gives us actually a perfect year for when this episode aired because that song was released, uh, written and released in 1944. So that means this episode take, takes place around Valentine's Day, 1967. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> 